The following message is made available for you by Emmanuel Baptist Church in Mora, Minnesota. For more information, visit us online at www.emmanuelmora.com. And uh, Psalm 145 is uh, at the end of the book of Psalms. And as we make our way through Psalms, you'll, you'll notice that uh, different sections of Psalms have different themes to them. There's five what we call books of the Psalms. Uh, the first book of the Psalms is, is more lamenting, asking God, where are you? Very much of that, Lord, from sorrow's deep I call. And as we make our way through the book of Psalms, the end of the Psalms is just all about uh, an exuberant praise of who God is and what he has done. So when you get to the very last uh, psalm in Psalm 150, it's just praise him in his sanctuary, praise him as mighty ex- expanse, praise him for his powerful acts, praise him for his abundant greatness. So we get the point there that we are to praise God. And we're going to look at Psalm 145 today. So follow along with me. If you uh, didn't bring your Bible, that's fine. Uh, it'll be up on the screen Uh, for you to follow along. A hymn of David. I exalt you, my God the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next. And will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor. And the glorious majesty. And your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts. And I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness. And will joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He is slow to anger and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all that he has made. All that you have made will thank you, Lord. The faithful will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all the people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his words and gracious in all of his actions. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. All eyes look to you and you give them their food at at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all of his ways and faithful in all of his acts. The Lord is near to all who call out to him, who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. Let's pray. Father, that is our goal for today and for all of our lives, that everything that has life and breath would praise you for your excellent greatness. And so, Father, I pray that you would be preparing hearts to uh, hear of how great you are and that they would put their trust in you, Lord, and that they would see your glory and your goodness. And it's in Jesus' name that I ask this. Amen. 
London Bridge is Falling Down is uh, one of those nursery rhymes that all of us are familiar with, and it does have some historical uh, precedent in it. Uh, it goes all the way back to the year uh, 1014 when uh, Viking leader Olaf Haraldsson apparently came and uh, pulled it down during the invasion of the British Isles. Uh, it also traces all the way back to the 1600s when there were multiple fires throughout London and the, the bridge had uh, come down most uh, notably from the Great Fire of London in 1666. Uh, but truth be told, no one really knows the historical basis for the song London Bridge is falling down. However, uh, this past week, the newly installed British Prime Minister, Liz Truss, got word that London Bridge was not only falling down, but that London Bridge had indeed fallen down. And before we think that the news headlines had missed the fact that a massive bridge in London had uh, gone down, uh, London Bridge was nothing but a code for a situation that the British government had been preparing for, for since the 1960s. I'm talking, of course, about the death of Queen of England, uh, uh, Elizabeth II of England, this past Thursday. The protocol was that from the moment of her death, the Prime Minister would get word and that the Prime Minister received the code, London Bridge is down, and he or she would initiate a, a, a series of things that would need to happen, and it was so precise that it was down to the very minute of when things were supposed to happen after the Queen had passed away. Uh, it was for both internally in the royal family and in Parliament, as well as the general public. And you can bet in the coming days we're going to get more information about her funeral. And there's little doubt that the, it's going to be nothing less than absolutely extravagant. Uh, that it will highlight not only the grace and the dignity that, uh, that the queen reigned, but also her sovereignty and majesty and greatness that she clung to. And by all earthly accounts, uh, she could be defined by her greatness since she was the longest reigning monarch ever in uh, in England, having reigned for 70 years and 214 days. That's pretty impressive, but it still misses the mark of the longest reign of a monarch. King Louis IV of France died in 1717, and he reigned for 72 years and 110 days. That's pretty impressive when you consider the fact that he was living in the 17th and 18th century uh, where health wasn't as good as it was now. And he was especially great in his own eyes. Instead of uh, being called King Louis, he preferred to be called Louis the Great. He uh, was uh, very uh, spectacular in how he led his court, and he was even famous for his line that, I am the state. There is no government. I am the state. His funeral was the most spectacular. In the church where the ceremony was, was performed, his body lay in a coffin that was pure gold. And to dramatize his greatness, orders had been given that the cathedral would be dimly lit all around it and that there would be one bright candle that was lit above his casket to show his greatness. And when the bishop, Massillon, who, over, uh, who uh, officiated the funeral, when he started the service, he did something that absolutely shocked the audience or the, the people that were mourning there. When he went up to the 
candle that represented the greatness of King Louis. And he snuffed it out. And his opening words of the funeral was, only God is great. And you see, kings and queens, they come and go. They might have long and magnificent reigns. Maybe they have short ones, but in the end, their glory and their greatness will be buried with them in a tomb or in the ground. The Bible, however, presents us with a king whose reign will never end. It presents us with a king whose majesty and whose splendor are above and beyond anything any monarch can ever imagine for themselves. Because like other monarchs, yes, this king did go to the grave, but he didn't stay there. This king is our great God and Savior in our passage today in Psalm 145. We're going to look at why this king deserves our ultimate allegiance, why he is worthy of our affection, why he is deserving of our devotion and our praise and our worship. Notice that our psalm today has the headline, A Hymn of David, which tells us that this song was meant to be included in the hymnal for the Israelites, but more important, that the author is none other than King David. King David was known as the greatest king that Israel had ever said. He was the prototype that if a king was going to be good, then he ought to reign like David. Though David had some issues, he was known as this great king. Yet here in verse 1, notice that this great and mighty king gives personal testimony that though he was anointed and crowned, he is not the sovereign of Israel. There is a king who is above him, one that David the king must also pledge allegiance to. He says, I extol you, my God and my king, and I will bless your name forever and ever. I'll bless you every day. I'll praise your name forever and ever. To bless God is to, to praise him, to lift him up high in worship. To praise him is not to uh, worship him for how he is identified, but rather it is short form for who he is. God's character and his, his being is wrapped up in his name, his character, his attributes, everything about him. And David lifts up prayers and adorations toward God. And here he is, 3,000 years later, he is calling every one of us to do the exact same thing today. So let's dig into this psalm and press hard into the greatness of God. We need to do, first and foremost, is we need to praise God for who he is. We should praise God for who he is. It's hard uh, to imagine thinking or interacting with anybody without uh, making some sort of judgment about who they are. Now, judgments are not necessarily good or bad in and of themselves. When you think or interact with anyone, you uh, attach certain adjectives that might spring into your head when you think about them. You might think of someone as nice and kind, Maybe when you think about an individual, you think about them as, as generous and honest. Maybe cold or distant. Maybe selfish and rude. You can't get around making these sorts of, of judgments. But 
Every one of us understands that these, these judgments only go to a certain extent. Not one of us would say that that guy that we see is, is the really nice guy, none of us would say that he is 100% nice all the time. There is something about him that, that probably there are some dark things going on there too. We can agree that the person that we see is generally generous can also be stingy sometimes. The person that you see is rude and condescending, they may have moments of kindness and compassion. Every one of us possesses particular qualities that might be reversed from time to time. When it comes to God, he is nothing like us. Yeah, we might share uh, with him some of his attributes and characteristics, but where our attributes are uh, fickle and partial, God's attributes are always complete and fixed. They're unchanging. They're unchangeable and undivided. Look with me in verse 8. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He's slow to anger and great and faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all that he has made. Now think about what that meant for, for David's audience for just a second. Uh, the, the nations that surrounded Israel were engrossed in religious systems by which God's posture or behavior was dependent on what the worshipers would do. So whether it be feeding the gods or whether it be doing certain uh, dances or holding uh, feasts or practicing this sort of cultic ritual or doing this or that at a particular time in a particular way, what they did would determine how that God would interact with them. And that wasn't even secure. It was just a hope that if we can do this, that these gods would look with favor upon us. And here, though, David is telling the people that God is worthy to be praised because his goodness is not dependent on us doing the right thing. His behavior is not based on our imperfect actions. God is not only always gracious and compassionate in, uh, and abounding in steadfast love. He is 100% of all of those things at all times. And those things are just some of the adjectives that we use to describe who he is, complete and undivided. God is compassionate. That's just not how he acts. That's who he is. God is slow to anger. Patience is not just a virtue of, who, uh, of his works. It is who he is. And this is really helpful because there's a lot of us that are chasing after fickle gods. You keep pumping money into a savings account thinking that it will satisfy. It's only going to ask for more. You keep uh, gratifying yourself with food or, or sex, but they'll only keep coming back to ask you to feed them more and more. 
you can escape to gambling or television or get lost in the constant scroll of Instagram. People are just going to keep posting and you're never going to be satisfied. And more often than not, they will betray you. This is helpful for us who have been in the church for a while, for those of us that look at God as some sort of cosmic vending machine. That if we just say the right words, we can be the right kind of person, if we can do all the right things, if we can just be uh, clean and pure, that God is formulaic rather than having a will and a purpose. Having a God that is complete and unchanging and unchangeable and undivided allows us to rest and know that there's nothing that we can do to complete him or manipulate him because he is good. And he is good because and only because he is And he's not divided. Think of a pie chart. He's not 20% love. He's not 20% compassion and 50% just and 10% patient. He is 100% of all of those things all the time. His love is an extension of his justice. His justice is an extension of his patience. He is 100% of these things all the time. Undivided. That's why uh, it is not appropriate to look at 1 John 4.16 and say that God is love and that supersedes everything. Because uh, when you look at this, John is not only is just focusing on one particular attribute. God is love, but look what David says. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. The Lord is slow to anger and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. The Lord is compassion on all that he has made. If you made your way through the Psalms, you'd find that verses 8 and 9 are only scratching the very surface of who this great God is. But let's dig just a little deeper. Because he is good, all of creation praises him. Look at verse 10. All you have made will thank you, Lord. The faithful will thank you and bless you. So don't misunderstand what David is saying here. We can think that David is only talking primarily about humans worshiping him, singing and giving their lives to him. But that's not the extent of where he is going here. If we we recall question two of the New City Catechism when the question was asked, what is God? If you remember the answer, especially in the kids one, is that God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. So when we look at all of the things that will bless you, all that you have made will thank you, we're looking at Psalm 19.1 as well. 
that the heavens declare the glory of God and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. That means everything around us, not just us in our lives, in our bodies, in our words, in our actions, in our thoughts, but also we see every blade of grass, every flower, every leaf, every rock that the water goes over in the river, every bird, every bear, every duck, every skunk, Skunk does praise God in a certain way of his. But all of these things are speaking of a better kingdom than the one that this world offers. He goes on, they will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all of his works and gracious in all of his actions. So not only is God who he is now, but he is the same as he was uh, when he created all things. And the glorious thing is that he is going to be the same when you wake up tomorrow morning. This is a God that is unchanging. A God that is always good. A God that you can always count on. A God that whose mercies are always new every morning that we wake up. God and his goodness is right in front of you. The evidence is everywhere. So praise him then. Praise him for who he is. And second, we need to praise him for what he's doing. Praise him for what he's doing. I found an app on the iTunes store the other day called Pocket God. And I want you to see the description of this. It's a top-selling app, by the way. What kind of God would you be? Benevolent or vengeful? Play pocket God and discover the answer within yourself. On a remote island, you are the all-powerful God that rules over the primitive islanders. You can bring life and take it away just as quickly. Exercise your powers on the islanders. Lift them in the air. Alter gravity. Hit them with lightning. You're the island God. All God powers are demonstrated in Pocket God's help menu. So apparently the God needs help somehow to get all these. We can be thankful that the God that is described here in Psalm 145 is nothing like this Pocket God. He's not having to decide whether to be benevolent or uh, malevolent or malevolent. I can't even talk today. He doesn't view us as a game or an experiment. An erratic God like that is not to be praised. A God like that is to be terrified of. But the God that David describes here is not only good in his character and his attributes, but his character and his attributes are made known through what he does and what he has done. And because he's unchanging and undivided in who he is, he is consistent in all, of his, in all of his works. Time and time again, the Old Testament tells us that we are to recount the, the marvelous works and the deeds of the Lord, and we should do that. We ought to look back in our, uh, in, in, in our Bibles and see how God was graciously faithful to his people when they were enslaved in Israel under Pharaoh and how he led them through dry ground through the Exodus and how he provided for them after 40 years in the wilderness and brought them to the land of promise. We ought to thank the Lord for his faithfulness to them when they rebelled in the time of judges or dismissed him uh, as king 
and God has been gracious to them throughout throughout the generations and he's been gracious to us we ought to look back on our lives and see the many ways that God was faithful to us even before we knew him looking back gives us confidence that if the Lord was faithful then he's going to be faithful now and he's going to be faithful tomorrow and so David fixes our eyes now not just on what the Lord has done but also uh, what he is doing right now and look at the many ways that God shows his grace here in verse 14 and down. Shows that he's compassionate, he's patient, he's, he has steadfast love. But we also find that he helps, he raises, he provides for us. He is faithful, he's near, he hears, he gives, he protects. Let's break that down just a little bit. The Lord helps all who fall. Now this doesn't mean that someone tripped on the ground. The word there. Uh, means to collapse. And David knew exactly what this felt like. If you remember that there was a time in David's life when, when he committed adultery with his neighbor's wife and ended up impregnating her and wanted to cover it up and that didn't go so well. So he had his neighbor actually murdered and uh, lied about it and then was, ended up being confronted for his sin. And when the prophet Nathan came to him and Unloaded on that, David just, he, he just broke down. He was at his end. He had been crushed in spirit. It was his lowest point. He wasn't the same anymore. And maybe the bottom's dropped out for you a time or two as well. You're crushed in spirit and there's, there's no way out. There's a God who is ready to have you meet him. One that is waiting and he's even... Wringing his hands right now, not ready to punish, but who's ready to help. He raises up all who are oppressed. Notice it also says that God is our provider. All eyes look to you. You give them food at their proper time. You open their hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. Now, I don't think this is literal language. We know from scripture and experience that this is not always true. Starvation has been um, an issue since the beginning of, of humanity. Rather, it seems to be a metaphor for our need for God. It's connected to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, and what Jesus uh, refers to when he was tempted in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when it says this in Deuteronomy. He humbled you by letting you go hungry, then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known. And this is the key of it here. So that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So how is it that we are truly fed? What is the nourishment that we actually need? It is God's word. It is God's word that fills us because it tells us of who he is, what he has done, and what he expects of us. Outside of the Bible is death. Inside God's word here is life because it tells us of God and what he has done in his son, Jesus Christ. And the more we feed of this, the more of him we get. Indeed, he is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides. 
And I don't know about you, but I've had a time or two when it just doesn't seem like God is there. I pray, I seek, nothing changes, and I'm just, I'm just not feeling, I'm just not feeling it. But the more I've gotten to know God, the more I love verses 17 and 18 here. It says, The Lord is righteous in all of his ways, faithful in all of his acts. The Lord is near all who call out to him, who call out to him in integrity. These verses tell me it doesn't matter how I feel. My feelings often betray me. The Lord is near to me when I call out. He may not answer the way that I want him to. He may not answer in the, the, the timing that I want him to. And he may be silent for a bit in order for me to press in on him a little bit more. But it doesn't mean that he isn't there. It says that he is righteous in all of his ways, even when he is quiet. But in that quietness, he is always, always, always underlined, italicsed, faithful. God is faithful. Verse 19, he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. Man, who is like our God? What God is like him? He isn't vindictive. He is always giving more and more and more and more of himself so that we can find our everything in him. So up to this point, David now has, has labored to get us to praise God by showing us that indeed he is God, that he is the cosmic king of whom every one of us in the entire world, from here in Mora, Minnesota, all the way over to Bangladesh and, and beyond, that he deserves praise and allegiance. And now in verse 20, David encourages us to worship him because he is also father. And when you think of a father, the chief duties of a father are to provide, which we just saw here a moment ago, but also to protect. And when we are adopted into God's family, he graciously provides protection against all kinds of evil. Notice what it says. It says, the Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. You know, we, we find ourselves in all kinds of trouble. We sin and, and we're sinned against. Some of us have gone through some things that um, are unimaginable. That I can't even imagine what the pain would be like to have gone through those things. And I can't pretend to know why God would have us go through those things. But I do know that he is good. And I do know that when we hope in, in him, nothing in this life will take us away from him. In fact, Peter tells us how it is that God is guarding us through faith in 1 Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 3. He says this, Because of his great mercy, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded 
by God's power through faith for a salvation that's ready to be revealed at the last time. So God is right now at this very moment where you sit in your circumstance guarding you who love him. And he is protecting you from 10,000 things that you can't even see or even know about right now. He is preparing you for a day in which you will joyfully say, Lord, everything that I went through in this life, good or bad, was worth it to get to you. Everything was worth it. Our God is not a pocket God. He's not whimsical or flippant because of who he is and what he has done. He is all good in himself. So praise the Lord for what he's doing. And third and finally, get on board. We need to get on board. I'm always amazed that when I see Western movies and read in history books about guys who... I don't know how to ride a horse. I'll just, I'll just say that. I, I've ridden one when I was a kid, and that was about it. I, I have no clue. So it amazes me when I watch Westerns and, and read in history books of, of these guys that would get their horses to go so fast that they would catch up to a train and grab the side of the train and, and launch themselves off the horse and, and jump onto the train. I mean, who does that? You have to have, like, mad skills and strength and a little bit of luck, probably, in order to actually make that work. But as we conclude this psalm, that's what David is instructing us to do. Look at verse 21. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. That's what's happening, folks. That train, the praise train, if you want to put it that way, is already moving along. There are people throughout the world that are on the ride, taking in the safety of the Lord and the sights that he is showing them of his magnificent work. Are, uh, and they are there because the Lord saw to it that verse 4 would be fulfilled. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. They're riding on this train because of those who have gone before them. But deep uh, deeper in this question is, how did this train even get moving in the first place? Well, if we examine ourselves rightly, we would be right to question how we would even get a ticket onto this train. When well, none of us have been consistent in praising the Lord in this way. I don't know about you, but when I read this psalm, this isn't true of me. I'm so weak and so fickle that I wish that I could live up to what this is saying here. On our best days, we're half-hearted in distraction. But we can get on board because and only because Jesus sang this song and lived it in his life perfectly. In his sinless life, his worship and adoration of the Father was absolutely complete. It was undistracted, it was undefiled, and it is Jesus and Jesus alone who can sing verse 5 faithfully. I will speak of your splendor and the glorious majesty and your wondrous works. And because he was faithful in his worship, faithful to the point of death, 
even death on a cross, he could have this song be sung. And now through faith, we can sing along with him. We couldn't do it. Um, what we couldn't do, he did for us. What we aren't, he is for us. Through faith, his life is our life. In his death, through faith, his death is our death. So knowing then that we are absolutely incomplete in ourselves, but complete in him, he gives us a new heart to be the people that he looked forward to in verses 6 and 7, where it says, they will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. They, meaning us who have the benefit of hearing what Christ has done today, will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. You see, when we are redeemed by Christ Jesus, you might be a new creation, but you are, all, you are only getting on board with something that's been happening for eternity. Right now, there's a multitude of redeemed people living throughout the world and who have already gone before us in death that are before the throne of Jesus, worshiping right now for his grace and his mercy. And our job is just to join the choir. It's just to hop on the train. The question is, are you in? You know, London Bridge has fallen down. It inevitably will fall down again. In that case, when we put our trust in anything, this is going to be what happens. Put our trust in kings or in princes or anything that this world can offer. Every one of them are going to let you down. But there is one king that will never let you down. The bridge will never go down with him because he has already been dead and made alive again. Uncorrupted. His kingdom, therefore, is an everlasting kingdom. One in which we find purpose and meaning and joy and fulfillment. And it is not too late to get on board and praise this great God for what he has done in our Lord Jesus Christ and what he is doing for us as a result of what Jesus did. Friends, this is our God. Let's praise him. Mm -hmm.